Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. You may be seated. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts with me. We're continuing with our verse-by-verse journey through the book of Acts. Faith experiences and expansions, what we've called this series. This is part 22. And where I left off two weeks ago, we talked about why would Paul head to Jerusalem when he knew he was running into trouble. So let's look at Acts chapter 20, verse 22, verse 23, and see what's something Paul is telling to the church leaders. He's in Miletus, but he invited all the leaders from Ephesus to come out. This is the first recorded minister's conference. And he's ministering to them about different things that are coming in the future. He's ministering to them about now and then prophetically about things that are coming down the pipe. But he tells them in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem. So he says, In my heart, I know I have to head to Jerusalem. So he has this witness on the inside, I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. And he says, I don't know what's going to happen to me there, but... Or save the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So remember, this is Paul's third missionary journey, and he's going to multiple cities. In part 21, we talked about all the different cities he was going to as he headed back to Jerusalem. And every single city, the Lord would tell him, when you get to Jerusalem, there's going to be chains and there's going to be trouble. How would you like that to be the word of the Lord everywhere? Every city, not one city, every city. So there could be a tongue and interpretation. It's incurring the congregation. It goes, and by the way, Paul, when you get to Jerusalem, there's going to be chains and trouble. Every single city, the Holy Ghost witnessed it, whether it was in his heart to the congregation or through prophetic utterances, through the vocal gifts of the Spirit. Every city, Paul knew, when I get to Jerusalem, there are going to be chains and there's going to be trouble. So let's go to chapter 21, verse 8. Chapter 21, verse 8. And it says, And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea. So now they're back into close to the land of Israel. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. So not only was Philip used mightily as a man of God, so were his daughters. It was generational. See, this is one of the things I claim for my family. Yep, I may prophesy, but my girls are going to prophesy too. I told the Lord one day, I said, if Philip's daughters can prophesy, so can mine. So I believe that mine will too. And so the thing is, the anointing is not supposed to stop in one generation. It's supposed to go to the next and get better and better and better. Should Jesus tarry, whoever comes after us should walk in a greater anointing than we do. And so they're in Philip's house. They're fellowshipping. The Holy Ghost begins to move. His daughters begin to prophesy by the Spirit of God. And they tarried there for many days, and there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. We've seen him before. He stands at office of prophet, and what we've seen before, whatever he said came to pass. And when he was come to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. He's making it very clear who has to say this. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem Bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. 
And when he, we heard these things, both we and they at that place besought him, please don't go up to Jerusalem. Please, just don't do it. Then Paul answered, what mean you to weep and break my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, because, you know, Paul, was, Paul wasn't easily persuaded. Paul, if he had his mind set on something, he's going to do it. And they said when they couldn't change his mind, they just said, well, the will of the Lord be done. What else are we going to do now? And after those days, we took up our carriages and went to Jerusalem. And so when he just read it that way, he said, okay, Paul is heading headfirst into change and trouble, and he doesn't care. Because we read chapter 20, he says, none of these things move me. But Paul did have a plan. How many of you know what Paul's plan was? How many want to know what his plan was? Go to Romans 15. Although Paul knew by the Holy Ghost, I'm heading to trouble and I'm heading to chains, Paul had a plan. Romans chapter 15, verse 20, and he's writing to the church at Rome. Now, one of the things you understand when you read most of Paul's epistles, he's writing to churches that he started. Paul didn't start the church at Rome. Most scholars don't even know who started the church at Rome. Paul had even been to Rome yet. He had wanted to get to Rome. So he's writing to believers in churches he hadn't started yet. And he says, yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they have not heard shall understand. For which cause I have been much hindered for coming to you. So what is he saying? He's saying, my goal of ministry these last several years have been in ministry is to go to places where they haven't heard about Jesus and preach about Jesus and share Jesus and build up the kingdom of God. He says, that's what I've been doing for years, and that's why I haven't come to see you yet. And he says, I wasn't coming to build upon another man's foundation. So someone laid the foundation in Rome. He says, I'm going to start church. I'm going to start foundations. And he says, I want to come to you, but I've been hindered because of the work that I've been doing. But having no more place in these parts, or I have completed my work here. I've completed my ministry here and these three trips in this area. Remember, he went through modern-day Turkey. He went through modern-day Greece. He went through parts of that area of Europe as well as the Middle East. But notice he said, these many years to come to you, I have this great desire, whensoever I take my journey into Spain. So Paul has a plan to go preach in Spain. But he says, I'm going to come to you first, for I trust to see you in my journey, and then you can contribute to or brought on my way thitherward by you. So after I minister there, you'll contribute to the ministry I'll do in Spain. If first I'll be somewhat filled with your company, but now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it has pleased them of Macedonia. Remember, that's the church at Philippi. And Achaia, that's the church at Corinth and all the churches around there. To make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. You know, we read this in 2 Corinthians 8 and chapter 9 as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It has pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for the Gentiles that they may partake of spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister unto them of carnal or fleshly things. When therefore I perform this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers. Now, why did Paul flip the script like this and say, hey, I need you to work together with me in prayer? 
that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my servants, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. So look at three prayer topics Paul asked. He says, strive together with me in your prayers that, number one, I be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. Number two, my service or my donation will be accepted by the saints in Jerusalem. Number three, that I may get to you, that I may come to you. So Paul had a plan. He reached out to the church at Rome and said, hey, I want you guys to pray for me. But he didn't say pray for me. He said strive together with me. Labor together with me. Work with me in prayer. Now, Paul always asked the churches to pray with them. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 through 11, we looked at it in this series a few weeks ago. As for, Paul says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of the trouble which came to us in Asia, that we are pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despair even of life. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver, and whom we trust he will yet deliver us. He also helped together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on behalf. So Paul was talking about when we were living in Asia and Ephesus for about those three years, there were times we got into such trouble we thought we were going to die. There was no way we were going to make it. But our trust was in God who raises the dead. He delivered us in the past. He delivers us now, and he will deliver us in the future. He says not only were we delivered because God does it, you helped us by praying for us. So he's saying the church at Corinth, he says, even though you guys had a lot of issues, I'm correcting, your prayers cause us to be delivered. Paul had great confidence in the prayers of the church. He didn't say, my prayer got me out of this. You know, me and Timothy, and we got together and began to pray in the Holy Ghost and use our faith in God. I said, no, y'all prayed and helped us out of this mess. Then you go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. He's telling to the church at Colossae, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, salutes you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So that labor fervently means to contend with adversaries, to fight, to endeavor with strenuous zeal, strive to obtain something. So Epaphras is praying just like Paul wants the church at Rome to pray. He says, I want you to contend for me in prayer. Now remember, there's two different sides of prayer. There's prayer where it's communicating with God, simply you having a communication with your Heavenly Father, whether it's by request or whether it's fellowship, it's communicating with God. And there's another type of prayer where you are working together with God in your praying, where you're yielding let the Holy Spirit pray through you. And a lot of times that's coming through intercession, and through intercession he can handle different things in the earth. And so Paul is not saying, I just need you to talk to God about me. He's like, I need you to partner together with God and let God pray through you and work together in prayer. And while you're praying, you'll be able to contend against the things that are trying to hold me back. So Paul says, I can't do this by myself. I can't battle by myself. I need you to pray with me, and the Holy Spirit will pray through you, and you'll lay hold of the goal together with me, and you'll be able to fight against what the enemy's trying to do. And so this is, he said, Epaphras did this, and this is what he wants the church at Rome to do. Now, when you get to Philippians, Paul, this is years later, Paul's in another situation, but he says in chapter 1, verse 19 of Philippians, for I know that this, the situation he's in, shall turn to my salvation or my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit 
of Jesus Christ. He didn't say because of my prayer or because of my faithful, because I'm faithful, my faith confessions. He says, you are praying and you're going to get me out. He said, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, we all have a supply. As believers, we all have different supplies. And we come together, it grows and it multiplies. He says, you at Philippi, as you begin to pray and you begin to yield your supply, you're going to cause my situation to change. I know what it's going to change because you pray. Paul always requested the churches to pray for him. These churches partner with them through giving and prayer. Their prayers help bring deliverance to Paul. Paul knew what was ahead of him and asked the church at Rome to pray concerning it. You do not pray to be delivered or rescued if you don't expect something to happen once you get there. So the Holy Ghost told him, when you get there, there's going to be chains and there's going to be trouble. Paul said, okay, Rome, here's what I need you to do because I want to make it to you. But I'm going to go through Jerusalem and I'm going to run into some chains and some trouble. So I want you to pray that I will be delivered from the people in Judea. And so after I'm delivered, I want you to pray that the saints receive my ministry. Because Paul could get there and they said, now we don't want you. So I want you to pray that church receives me, that I'll be delivered for the people who don't believe in Judea, and that I make it to you. So he expected the church at Rome to help pray him through. So that means the ministry that God has given is not just upon the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for it to be effective. The churches must pray through, especially where the ministry gifts are concerned. And so Paul is under great attack always. And that's why he asked the church, okay, I need you to pray about this. Okay, I need you to pray for an open door. I need you to pray that God will deliver me here. I need you to pray this. I need you to pray that. And so the thing is, remember early in the book of Acts, when James, the brother of John, was beheaded? The church wasn't praying. But Peter was arrested, and it says the church began to pray day and night because they got tired of losing their gifts. And as they prayed, Peter was delivered supernaturally, and Herod was dealt with. And it wasn't because Peter did something or James or John. It's because the church prayed. The church must pray for its ministry gifts. It must pray for its pastor. It must pray. And so a lot of you in here, I'm your pastor, so please pray for me. But a lot of you watching online, you go to different churches. You need to pray for your pastor. Please, I'm honored if you pray for me too, but you need to pray for your pastor. Satan targets every believer, but he especially targets leaders because they're in front of the pack. And if he can take down the leader, he says, I can get the flock. So the congregation must pray for their pastors that they be delivered from the attack of the enemy. And so if we see the enemy trying to attack pastors, especially through depression and suicidal thoughts, then we must be on our guard and begin to pray for them more. We must combat what the enemy tries to do. Now, yes, there is a natural side, and that was something I would talk to pastors about. But where it comes to believers, we must pray. And we have to also watch our words of criticism, because you know what happens? You know, the same people who will criticize a minister on Facebook will go, oh, why do they commit suicide afterwards? we got to watch our mouths. And so we must be people who pray through for ministry gifts. Pray that what God wants to happen in their lives happens. Because think about it just strategically this way. If God has a word of deliverance he wants you to hear on Sunday, and that a word that will change your life and affect your family, 
and God knows it's going to come through your pastor, so he's preparing your pastor all week for it, what is Satan going to try to do? Stop him from opening, or stop her from opening their mouths to do whatever he could. There was one message, it was earlier this year, I'm coming to preach on the blood. Everything possible happened in my house for me not to make it out of the house. I'm talking about cars, stuff, like one of my kids start selling, not feeling well, like everything happened. I'm like, church is about to start in 10 minutes. And then I was like, first I'm getting frustrated, like, oh, I'm preaching on the blood. Of course, he's trying to act stupid. And we had tremendous experiences. And so I know how to push through, but it also has to be the congregation who prays through. We have to be people who pray through if we want to see the fullness of the manifestation that God wants us to receive. We have to understand that our prayers also release angelic forces. One of the things when we look at Ephesians chapter 6 and it talks about the lance on the Roman soldier, that is the lance of prayer. And as you pray, that takes down long-range targets and it can stop things from happening. Some of the things if we actually yield ourselves in prayer, we will pray in the plan of God and hold back the plan of the enemy in prayer. But we must be people who give ourselves to prayer. There are times when you can pray short prayers. Now, Father, I pray for this person. pray that you strengthen them and you protect them. And I pray that you send the right person across the path and assist them. There are times for short prayers. Where there are times you're having your heart like, I need to take some time and I need to pray about this individual or pray about the situation. And after about a good 10 minutes, you may run out of what to say in English. So you switch over to the Holy Ghost and you hit it in tongues and you pray until you get the note of victory. So you got to think about this. There's so many times Satan tried to kill Paul. But he was delivered, Paul said, because people prayed. So people think, man, the apostle Paul has a great reward in heaven, and he does. But you know also he has who reward in heaven? Everybody who prayed him through. Every single person who prayed him out of jail, prayed him away from this, prayed him away from that, prayed him away from this. Every person who yielded in all of Turkey and in Achaia and in Macedonia and in Judea and prayed for him have the reward with Paul. Because if they hadn't prayed, Paul had been dead a long time ago. We have to pray. Paul's backup plans, like, oh, I'll get through the mess at Jerusalem. Now, I'm ready to die if I got to die. I'm, I'm cool with that, but I got the church at Rome praying for me because I'm not moved by these things. Rome's praying for me. I got to go see them. And so the church was praying for him. So he wrote them while he was in Corinth. And so for months, he's traveling to Jerusalem. So he finally makes it to Jerusalem. And remember, I want you to think about this as we go through the rest of this message, that the prophet Agabus said that the Jews at Jerusalem shall bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Remember that phrase. And so you can skip down to verse 16. Then went us certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them Menaean of Cyprus, an old disciple. What does it mean? He's been saved a long time. So by this point, you're in the late 80s, 50s, maybe almost 80s, 60s. You're going to get there within a few years. And so remember, Pentecost happened not too long after 80, 30. So this is an early believer. So this guy has been saved for 20 to 30 years. He could have even been some of the pe- one of the people who walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry. And so now he's older in age, but also older in faith. He's one of the elders of the area. And so he, they stayed at his house. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Whoa, prayer report, praise report number one. They received Paul. Paul prayed that they would receive me in what I had to do. So we see that prayers of Rome was working. 
They said they received them gladly. And the day following, Paul went unto James. Remember, James is Jesus' little brother. But he's also the pastor of Jerusalem. He's the leader of the church there. So he's in charge. A lot of the other apostles are all over the world. But James is in Jerusalem. James is in charge. And all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews here which believe. So Paul gave support about all the Gentiles, thousands of Gentiles who got saved. And say, hey, Paul, since you be gone and get ministering the Gentiles and thousands of them got saved, while you've been gone, thousands of Jews have gotten saved too. So the church of Jerusalem has been growing by leaps and bounds. The church among the Gentiles has been growing leaps and bounds. But notice this next phrase. And they are all zealous of the law. What, what, what? But they're saved. But they're still zealously and passionately trying to keep the law. Think about what Paul has been teaching among the Gentiles. And Paul has been teaching among the synagogues and all of these nations. The people in Jerusalem, they're saved all right, but they're still keeping the law like salvation never came. Pay attention to this. Although they were saved, they were zealously tried to keep the law and the old covenant. Verse 21, and they are informed of these. So people in Jerusalem have been talking about you, Paul. You haven't been here for years, but everybody has been talking about you. They say that you teach all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it, therefore? The multitude, Muscadines come in, they're going to know that you're here, Paul. They're going to see you, and everybody knows that you have arrived in Jerusalem. They're going to hear that you're here. So this is what I want you to do. We have four men which have a vow on them. Wait a minute, we're still in old covenant practices, even though Jesus has come. They're taking, most scholars believe, the Nazarite vow. And at the end of the Nazarite vow, there is a ritual of purification. And he says, take them, purify yourself with them, and be at charges, which means pay for their, because when you do this vow, there was a certain payment you do, a certain sacrifice you make. And so James is telling Paul, I want you to pay for their sacrifice and go and purify yourself with them that they may shave their heads and all may know that the things whereof they are informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself walk early and that you also keep the law. Interesting. Go purify yourself, although the blood of Jesus has already purified you. Can anyone see something wrong here? As touching the Gentiles, which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered idols and from drinking and eating blood and from things strangled and from sexual immorality. And so, yeah, the Gentiles are free. They don't have to live after the law. But we're going to keep the law. We're going to keep our old ways. We're going to keep our old customs. We're going to hold on to our religious past. Then Paul took them in. And the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of the purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. 
why are you offering an offering on the old covenant when Jesus has already been offered? And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews were of Asia. Remember, almost everybody in Asia had heard Paul preach. They all know him. So there are some people who thought, man, we leave Ephesus and fine. We don't see Paul anymore. And then they're in the temple in Jerusalem, and there he is again. When they saw him in the temple, they stirred up all the people and laid hands on them, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people and against the law and against this place. Further, he has brought Greeks, he's brought Gentiles into this temple and has polluted the holy place. So you know a riot's about to start. Why do they say this? For they had seen him before in the city with Trophimus in Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought in the temple. So they saw him hanging out with a guy from Ephesus, and they thought he must have brought him into the temple. So not only does he preach against the old ways, not only does he preach against the customs and preach against the law and turn people away from the law of Moses, he's polluted the temple. He's about to tear this temple down. And all the city was moving. The people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple and fought with the doors were shut. And they went about to kill him Tidings came unto the chief captain of the band. These are the Gentiles, the Romans. And all that was in Jerusalem, that all Jerusalem was in uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. Then the chief captain came and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. Not, not that two chains, another two chains. And demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing and some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty of the tumult, he commanded him, Paul, to be carried into the castle. And when he was come up the stairs, it was so that he was carried or born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. So they literally had to carry him away because the mob was trying to kill him. For the multitude of the people followed after crying, away with him. And so I, no, but I want you to notice something. He's with the Gentiles now, right? So where is he with now? The Gentiles. And as Paul was led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto you, who said, Can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian, which before these days made an uproar and led out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? But Paul said, I am a man of the Jew, a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, a citizen of no mean city. I mean, this is a city that's regularly recognized. You know this city. And I beseech you, allow me to speak unto the people. And when he gave him lines, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with him the hand, and there was a great and there was made a great silence. He spoke unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence, and he said, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus a city in Sicilia. Yet I was brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. He was the famous rabbi of the day and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as you are all this day. And I persecuted this way, talking about Christianity, unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest has bear me witness. He said, your leader, he knows. He's the one who told me to do it. As the high priest 
does bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom I also received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem, for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey, it was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me, and I fell unto the ground, and I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told you of all things which are appointed for you to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews who dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour I looked upon him, and he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see that just one, and should hear the voice of his mouth. For you shall be his witness unto all men of what you have seen and heard. And now are you tearing? Arise and be baptized and washed away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And saw him saying unto me, Make haste, get you quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by and considering unto his death, and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send you far hence unto the Gentiles. And they gave him audience until this word, Gentiles. And then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off the clothes and threw dust in the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought in the castle. The chief captain doesn't know what he said. He's speaking in Hebrew. This dude knows Greek. He doesn't know what happens. All of a sudden, the riot gets worse after this dude talks for a little while. And told them that they should, he should be examined or interrogated by scourging. So torture him and find out what he said and what he did. That we might know why they cried against him. As they bound him with them, so they tied him. So who, who's tying him up? The Gentiles. But wait, wait, wait. Before we go forth, Agabus did not say the Gentiles would bind him. Did he? Who did Agabus say would bind him? The Jews. Now, Paul was bound by the Jews. Guess which ones? The church. Their religious customs bound the man of God. Unwilling to move beyond and let go of the old ways and telling Paul, hey, go ahead and do these things with zealous of the law. Go ahead and do these things bound Paul. And caused them to be handed over to the Gentiles. It wasn't the unbelieving Jews that bound him. It was the believing ones. So we have to make sure we don't hold on to old things that would trip up our liberty in Christ. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. Now remember one of the things I said in the first week starting this series, that 
one of the things you really get as you read the book of Acts is you understand the humanity of our heroes. They are human. They're still trying to figure this out. You see in the early books, they say, well, uh, we, we actually don't know what we're going to do, but this seems good to the Holy Ghost. They said, well, you pick it out. I said, well, we, we need to go pray and read the Bible more. You choose among you seven. You see them trying to figure it out. You see them growing. You see them making mistakes. You see them overcoming their mistakes. And this mistake here, because of their zealous of the law, bound Paul. But now he's chained up by the Gentiles, and they're about to torture him. And so right before they start, Paul has something to say. Paul said unto the satyrian that stood by, hey, you know, is it lawful for you to scourge or torture a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the satyrian heard that, he went and told the chief captain, said, hey, pay be careful what you're about to do. This dude is a Roman. So one of the things about it, as a Roman, you had certain rights. Not everyone had these rights. But Romans had certain rights within the Roman Empire. It's just like being an American. As an American, you have certain rights. No matter where I am in the world, if I need help, there's an American embassy. And I know how to call that embassy. And there have been times before I have called that embassy. Like, my name is Carrick Butler. I live in such and such city. I am a taxpayer, and I need your help today. Why? I have certain rights because I'm an American. Paul's like, I'm a Roman. You're not allowed to beat me. Because the punishment of beating a Roman uncondemned was horrible. And so the centurion has a hey, be careful what you do because this dude is a Roman. So the chief captain came saying, tell me, are you a Roman? He says, yes. And the chief captain said, with a great sum of money obtain I this freedom. So one of the ways you can become a Roman citizen is by buying your citizenship. And the chief captain said, I saved up a lot of money. And with a lot of money, I bought my citizenship. That's how I became a Roman. So he's about to think, Paul, that's how he became a Roman too. And Paul says, no, I was born free. I was born a Roman. I was born to this. I didn't have to pay for this. This is who I am. Then straightway they departed from him who was going to torture him. I was like, I was like oh no, we are not messing with this dude. We are not going to face the wrath of Caesar because we tortured a Roman who was uncondemned. And the chief captain also was afraid after he knew he was a Roman because he chained him. He knew he was not even supposed to chain a Roman who's uncondemned. He's already broken the law. So now the chief captain is afraid. On the morrow, because he would have known of certainty whereof he was accused of the Jews, he loosed them from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and, to be, and Paul to be brought down and set before them. So let's go to chapter 23. So now we're about to see some, one of the things, as I said before, Paul is brilliant. He's a man of the Holy Ghost, but he's also a man of strategy. So a lot of people would have gone, well, if I have to be beat for Jesus, I'm just going to beat for Jesus. Paul's like, I don't got to be beat if I don't got to be beat. Look, I'm a Roman. <laughs> You're supposed to be doing this. Come on, God has given us a brain, so we should use it. If God has given you certain rights, you might as well use it. So notice what it says. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. So now remember, 
He's loose from his bands. The chief priest is there. All the Jewish council is there. And Paul's beginning to make his defense. He says, I have lived in all good conscience before God on this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded that he should be smit on the Slap him. Paul is not the dude just to take the slap unwillingly. Because then Paul said to him, God shall slap you. Could you imagine this? The high priest, like Paul says, I've lived before God a gun conscious all this day and from every day of my life. And the chief priest said, slap him. They go, go slap him. Paul goes, God's going to slap you, high priest. Imagine what's going down in this room. You whited wall, for you sit to judge me after the law and you command me to be smitten after the law. You're trying to tell me to know the law? It's like, oh no, I study after Gamaliel. I would have been. I could have had your job. Because you think you have, remember Paul says, no one could beat me after the law. I was zealous after the law. You read his writings. I could do it better than everybody else. And he says, you just told me to be slapped after the law, and you're breaking the law. And they that stood by says, do you revile God's high priest? And remember he said, you white at walls. So remember what Jesus said to them? He said, y'all just whitewashed tombs. You look nice on the inside, but you're dead on the inside. This is what Paul's saying. Your tomb is clean, but on the inside, you're full of old men's bones. Then said Paul, I don't know he was the high priest. For it's written, you should not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Paul said, well, he wasn't acting like it. I didn't recognize him. (laughs) Oops, my bad. But when Paul perceived, notice he perceived, he's paying attention to the room. This dude is brilliant. He's observing everything. See, the high priest, I've already slapped you back verbally. He's looking at the room, and he perceived that part of the room were Sadducees, and part of the room were Pharisees. He cried out on the council. Now he's not talking loud. talking quietly. He gets loud. He says, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, because he was. The son of a Pharisee. So not only am I a Pharisee, my daddy was a Pharisee, too. I come from Pharisees. Of the hope and the resurrection of the dead am I called into question. And when he said this, there arose a dissension, there arose an argument and a debate between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say, there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees say, yes, there is a resurrection. There are angels. There are spirits. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were the Pharisees' part arose, saying, hey, we don't find any evil in this man. Now the Pharisees are on Paul's side. This is, we don't find anything wrong with them. What if a spirit talked to him? What if an angel talked to him? Don't fight against God. Look, look, bro, look. What if it was real? What if the Jesus really did appear to him? What if it was an angel? Do you really want to? Remember what Gamaliel said, let's not be fighting against God. Leave them alone. And so the Pharisees are like, you know what? Maybe we should back Paul. And there, when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing that Paul should be pulled in pieces, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. So now the riot is breaking forth, and so the Pharisees say, no, we want Paul. And the Sadducees, no, Paul needs to die. So they're going back and forth, pulling them back and forth. And a chief captain who's seen a lot is like, oh, no, they're going to pull, pull this dude in pieces. He is a Roman, and I've chained him, and, oh, this is going to be bad for me. This is going to be bad for my career. Get him. 
So they by force take him away out of the riot and carry him away. And the night following, the Lord stood by him. Paul has had quite a day. So you know, he's at night thinking about, man, reflecting over his day. Wow. Man, the high priest told me to be slapped. And I told him God's going to slap him. And then we had a riot right in the council. And man, those Roman soldiers have been picking me up a lot lately. They've been carrying me around here. Can't. He is reflecting on his day. And as he does that, Jesus stood by him and says, be of good cheer, Paul. Cheer up. Be encouraged. Be bold. Be courageous. For just like you testified of me in Jerusalem, so must you bear witness also at where? Who has been praying for him? The church at Rome. Paul says, I have to go to Jerusalem. But after that, I'm coming to Rome. So he told Rome to pray for him. Now Jesus has appeared and says, the prayers have been answered. You are going to Rome. So be encouraged, be bold, be brave. They can't kill you here. They can't stop you no matter what they do. You're going to get to Rome because just like you witnessed of me here and testified of me here and preached for me here, you're going to do the same at Rome. It was not just because of Paul's faithfulness. It's because the church prayed. Paul had a plan and his plan worked. The praying church, a church that prevailed in prayer. I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. You know, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app, as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially to support this ministry and what we do here in the metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.